Uh, Our scripture this morning will be in Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. Christ is at the height of his popularity, and verse 1 tells us that thousands of people were trampling over each other, trying to come into the presence of the Lord. So listen to this passage, which deals with the issue of having your hearts strong in faith. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do to you. But but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not... One of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the power that you bring to our understanding, Holy Spirit. So take the word of God and make application. Open our eyes to see the glory and goodness and the beauty of the triune God in Jesus' name. Amen. So Christ says to these disciples, after thousands of people are trampling on one another to see him and to hear him and to have their loved ones or friends healed, he pulls them aside and he says, 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 be very wary. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. We said last week that hypocrisy is, is wanting to appear to be something on the outside that we are not on the inside. Hypocrisy is being concerned only about how we appear to people and not on our inner motivations. Hypocrisy is all about being applauded by the masses and forgetting that we really live before an audience of one. And Christ says, be very careful about the leaven of the Pharisees, this purity party, this popular party, of Jewish leaders in Israel is is hypocrisy. Now, in in our culture, you know, we've picked this theme up. If you say to someone, you're a phony, they're upset. If you say you're a fake, that upsets. But if you say to somebody, you are a hypocrite, you have just really insulted people. And and we've got the import of that from the scripture. This this hypocrisy is wanting to be... um, seen as something that we're not. In Matthew chapter 12, the, hip, the uh, Pharisees added insult to injury. It says in verse 24 or 22, then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, demon-possessed, blind and mute, was brought to Christ and he healed him so that the man spoke and he saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? Is this the one we've been longing for, waiting for? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, 
it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons, that this man cast out demons. So, so they attributed the work of Jesus to Satan. So they downgraded him, made fun of and lampooned and described the work of Christ as being full of demonic power. And another thing about the Pharisees is one particular Pharisee is mentioned in Luke chapter 11, verse 38. So interesting, starting verse 37, when Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Did not he who made the outside also make the inside? I want you to get the, the word here, it says that the Pharisee is in the ESV said was astonished. Really, it means he was flabbergasted to the point of being speechless. He couldn't fathom that a great teacher, a Rabboni, would not follow the meticulous details of the Pharisees. See, the Pharisee took the law of Moses and they put rule after rule after rule after rule after rule around the scripture. And, and, and ultimately, their rules and their mind and thinking became almost equal to scripture and really superseded it. And that's the problem when you take the scripture and you're buried under cultural norms or familial norms or regional norms or chronological norms. Let the Bible be the Bible. And the Pharisees have taken the law of Moses and they put all these layers around it. One of the layers involved meticulously washing your hands before you eat your meal. And Jesus didn't do it. And the guy was blown away, flabbergasted. It blew his mind. But because he was more committed to these pharisaical standards than to the scriptures. The same word for astonished is used in the book of Matthew in verse 11 and following in chapter 27 when Jesus is brought before Pontius Pilate. Now when Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priest and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you, which were false and full of lies and innuendo? But he gave him no answer, not even a single word. So the governor was greatly amazed. Same word. Astonished, flabbergasted, blown away. Pontius Pilate could not believe that Jesus didn't defend himself against these liars and accusers and belittlers. So, so the word carries great weight. They were blown away. And then this passage we saw last week, Christ looks at the Pharisees and he gives them three woes. He says, woe to you Pharisees, because you tithe a tenth of your produce, which you should. The ball teaches that. But you neglect the weightier issues, which involves justice toward your fellow man and love toward God. So you, you, do, you do this, but you, you're not about the centrality of really worshiping God, which involves caring for your fellow man and loving the Lord God with your heart and mind. So he, said, he says, woe to you Pharisees because you go to a wedding banquet or a communal feast and you sit at the head of the table and one of the very best places to sit and you want to be applauded by men. 
Woe to you Pharisees, because you're like blind guides that lead people over unmarked graves. You see, in Judaism, when you bury someone, you put a headstone, because if you walked across a, a grave, you were ceremonially unclean. And Jesus is saying that, that you, in your crafty teaching that has obliterated the worship of God, are leading people into error, and they don't even know it. You're like a blind guide leading people over unmarked graves. So it says, woe to you. See, the basic problem of the Pharisee is that they played to an audience instead of playing to an audience of one. They wanted to be seen of men. In John 5, Jesus says this. How can you believe when you, are, you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? You're so busy trying to get the applause of the men around you that you forget that you walk before God. That was the problem with the Pharisees. So the issue this morning I want to address is how do you protect yourself from hypocrisy and this false religion that involves what the Pharisees were doing? I mentioned three things. Number one, you, you, you fear, reverence, honor, love, run to the warm embrace of Abba Father. We said last week as we studied this passage, I said that, that really Jesus says you should fear him who has the ability to consign you to eternal judgment. And you say if you just stop there, you're going to miss the whole import of the passage. And then he says this, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God. God loves creation. Why? He says even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not. You're more valuable than many sparrows. He says, you, you, you reverence God. It's not the, the fear of, of somebody who is in a, some type of totalitarian state and you think the secret police are going to come in and beat you with, 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 with sticks. He says, no, this fear is the fear of a son who dearly loves his father and wants to please his father. It's a fear, this filial fear. And he says, you live in such a way that you reverence, you stand in awe of God, and you run to the embrace of Abba Father because he's numbered the hair upon your head. He loves you. He cares for you. So just to recap from last week, one way we protect ourselves from hypocrisy is we reverence and honor and fear and run to the goodness and the mercy and the grand embrace of Abba Father. Number two today. We, we acknowledge the Son, verses 8 and 9. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me. Now stop. The word for acknowledge means to verbally assent to and live with passion before. It means to have verbal assent and a life that follows the verbal assent. Everyone who acknowledges me before men is a courtroom setting he's talking about. The last day, the last judgment. The Son of Man, a term of divinity from Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man also will acknowledge him, own him, before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. It's a strong statement. He says, you know, your, your, your faith must be observable and tangible with, with results. Courtroom drama. And the judgment has been given to the Son. Look at John chapter 5 here. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. See, church, whoever has the Son has the Father. 
Listen to Ephesians 1, just a few verses. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. I've been through the Lord Jesus, I've been adopted into God's family forever. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Wow. I'm in Christ. There's a psalm that says, oh God, you forgive sin, therefore you are to be feared. The psalmist is stepping back and saying, the one who made the heavens and the earth, who has no beginning and who has no end, who is unchanging, who is eternal, who is glorious, who is everywhere present and all-knowing, this God forgives sin. And he's looking toward the coming Messiah King who would fulfill the sacrificial system. How much more should we step back and say, Almighty God, in your triune glory, you have in tender love loved us with an everlasting love. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've allowed us to see the glory of God in the flesh who died on the cross for my sin, rose victorious over death, ascended into heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit. And listen, and is right now, according to Scripture, is praying for us. Hebrews 7.25, Romans 8.34. He's, he's able to save us completely, those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Does that blow your mind? He's interceding for his people? Wow. And so, so he who has the Son has the Father. This should fill us with sobriety. And step back and say, Lord, help me, help me to acknowledge you verbally, by lifestyle, but because, quite honestly, if, if I acknowledge you before men on that glorious day, you will acknowledge me in the council of heaven. Let me take the, the hits that come. In this culture, it will involve maybe passed over for a job or belittled or not been invited to some of the parties or maybe even being the butt of the jokes in your dorm or your barracks. But Lord, you're praying for me. You died for me. I want to live for you. It's been my honor to have had the privilege to go to North Africa and teach. I hope to do it this summer at a regional seminary that our missions committee helps support through a Barnabas partner. And there'll be 45 to 60-ish men there and a few women and there, there are pastors and church leaders from uh, Egypt and Libya and Tunisia and, and Morocco and Algeria uh, and, and Western Sahara, if you can't count that as a different country. And, and every person there, without exception, some more than others in other places, have the potential of being persecuted. I mean, in one of those countries that will remain nameless, they, they, in your passport, they put your religion. So there's, it's just there. And, and so I am honored to walk among them. But the first time we went, 
It's in Tunis, and outside of Tunis is a place called Carthage, which was a major center for the Christian faith in the early part of church history. And there was persecution there, and there was a, I went, I was, an area pastor was taking me around. He said, we stood there and said, this is where Perpetua and Felicity were martyred. And I, I didn't know what he was talking about, so I did some research. And, and it's on my calendar now. It's on March the 7th. It's, a note comes up, remember the martyrdom of Perpetua and Felicity in the year 2002. So let me tell you the story. So in the year 2002, there were some people that were beginning to talk about the Christian faith a lot. And so the, the governing authorities said, we want everybody to bow the knee at the altar to worship the emperor. It's a political gesture. It's not really, they believed in many gods. It wasn't really a monotheistic thing. It was just, it's part of our religious culture and part of our political oversight. And a number of Christians said, we can't. We know the gods before me. We, we can't bow the knee and say that a political leader is divine. Or We just can't. And so among those who did not was a 22-year-old aristocrat named Perpetua who just had a baby and her servant girl, a 20-year-old named Felicity. And they picked these women up and put them in prison. And because Perpetua's daddy had a lot of money, he was able to buy for them a place in the better part of the prison instead of the horrible part of the prison. And, and, and he would go to her every day. She just had a baby, bringing the baby several times every day for her to nurse the baby and to plead with her, just, just bow the knee. It's just a political gesture. She said, Dad, I can't do it. She's 22. She's 22. Her 20-year-old handmaid was pregnant. He must pray to her, but she was put in prison. She had the baby in prison. And when she had the baby, she was groaning. There weren't any epidurals or anesthetists. And, and the guards started belittling her and... They said, how in the, if you can't bear the pain of childbirth, how will you do when you're put to death? And this is why she said, now, now it is I that suffers, but there will be another in me when that day comes who will suffer for me because I am also about to suffer for my Christ, close quote. She's 20 years old. In fact, she, she was a catacomb at that time, which means that she was in the process of being baptized. When you became a believer, you went through a series of classes in the early church before you were baptized. And so she was young. She was a 20-year-old young believer. And the father played with his daughter, and she said, I can't do it. And uh, the fateful day came, and they took him into the arena, and they released, a, uh, it says, a calf that was mad, and the calf started trampling them and when the crowd the huge crowd saw in the amphitheater saw the way these women had been abused they started pleading for them for the just have mercy upon them don't let them suffer anymore and so they, they called in some soldiers and they just said put them to death and Felicity was quickly killed and Perpetua had a young man this is a drawing obviously of uh, what happened a young man uh, came in and tried to kill her, but he was, a, he was a young soldier, so he didn't sever an artery. He, he just hit the bone. It was very painful. And so she took his knife or his sword and put it at her throat and said, do, do it this way. 22. Boom. Uh, it's amazing to me. And, and, um, and then I'm just reading about our own, our own DNA. This is, this is the, the flag for a group named Boko Haram. Boko is a Nigerian word that means book, haram. It loosely means Western education is forbidden. It's a Al-Qaeda. It's called Nigerian Al-Qaeda. 
and they've been seizing girls and selling them into sex slavery. And uh, in 2014, they killed 6,664 people in Nigeria. Most, the vast majority were Christians. In, in the year 2014, if you remember Mrs. Obama holding up a sign that says, Release Our Girls. In 2014, they seized 276 schoolgirls in the Borno state of northern Nigeria and sold them into slavery, sex slavery. And there was a hue and cry, and people tried to deal with Boko Haram. But it's, so, so they're, they're just killing people. Just, just killing people. And I think, you know, Lord, uh, my brothers and sisters are doing this. Uh, give me courage. Or this, you remember this very well. This is on the beach of Libya. These uh, people from ISIS seized 21 Christians who were just day laborers from Egypt, very poor men, but all professing believers. They took them out to a beach and they beheaded them. And, and, and in the video, you can see these men with their lips moving and people that can read lips. So they were just, they're crying out to Christ, have mercy upon me, have mercy upon me. And in the aftermath of this brutal, uh, horrendous thing, there was a, a, a international news organization called VICE who went to Egypt to interview some of the remaining relatives. And let me read what some of them said. The mother, 24-year-old uh, Abonab Aib said, may God forgive ISIS, but because of them, I had the best gift, I gave the best gift that I had, I gave God my son, close quote. The mother, 24-year-old Malik Ibrahim said, I'm proud of my son. He did not change his faith in the last moment of death. I thank God the Lord has now taken care of him, close quote. The mother, 29-year-old Samuel Abraham said, quote, we thank ISIS. Now more people believe in Christianity because of them. ISIS showed what Christianity really is. The wife of 26-year-old Milad McKing said, quote, ISIS thought they would break our hearts. They did not. Milad is now a hero and an inspiration to the whole world. And I went, wow. Wow. And I thought about the passage in 1 Peter where Peter He's talking to the church. He's getting ready to go into 250 years of persecution. And this is what he says. He says, he says, verse 6 of chapter 5, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Number 2, cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Number 3, be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the de devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Number 4, resist him firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And I think, God, these men knelt, these, these barely educated Egyptian believers knelt on a beach in Libya and refused to denounce Jesus. And they were beheaded. And their parents and their wives and their kids didn't have social security, didn't have a safety net, didn't have an insurance payout. Boom! God forgive me for being so weak-kneed. And he says this, And after you suffered a little while, <laughs> the God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory. In Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. He says, you know, he said, yeah, you, you suffer. Some, some people want to suffer for a little while. 
but eternity awaits. Little while, eternity. I have said many stupid things in my life. Many. But I was studying this passage, and I thought about one of the most stupid things I said a few years ago involved a dear man named Cliff Batten. Cliff went to church years, just a delightful guy. Loved the Lord, was just a great guy. He's in his 80s. He became sick very quickly and died. Cliff loved Kansas State football. He had a, he had a Kansas State mailbox. He played football for Kansas State. He would fly to Manhattan, Kansas, to watch the Wildcats play frequently. And, and he, he died in the next season. Kansas State went 12-1 and one and played in a major bowl game. And I said to his daughter, who goes to church here and is a good friend, I said to her, I said, you know, I am really, really sorry that Cliff is not here to see this edition of Kansas State football. How stupid can you get? Cliff, would you want to leave the glories of heaven and the worship of the living God and the joy and the feasting and the celebration and the unending project and the growing knowledge of the character of God? Do you want to leave that to see a football game in the middle of Kansas? I don't think so. Just think about it. You know, what a stupid statement. And that includes 3531 Clemson over Alabama. No, really. After you suffer a little while, there's going to be an eternal glory. Number three, we, we, to, to fight against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, we welcome the Holy Spirit. Verses 10 and 11, there's a guy named Block, Daryl Block, who's a scholar, and he's written the commentary on Luke, and he says this, this is one of the most enigmatic, difficult passages in all the Bible. Listen to it. And, and any, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. I said, well, so let me take a stab at this difficult, enigmatic, mysterious passage. Uh, anyone who speaks a, a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes the Holy Spirit. So, so to speak a word against the Son of Man is to be in transition. You're, you're thinking about the things of God. You're, you're not really sure who Jesus is. You're, you're, some of you are here, you're considering the Christian faith. You're considering making a commitment to Christ. You're, you're, you're really thinking, you know, do, you know who, is Jesus who he claims to be? Uh, I know his disciples went to their death with this cry upon their lips, Jesus is risen from the dead and he is Lord, but I, I, I just don't know. I'm, I'm thinking through it. So he said, I'm just not so sure. The passage I read earlier, Jesus heals a demonic mind who's blind and can't speak. And the people said, could this really be the son, the son of David? And they said it probably with incredulity. This guy, really this guy, eternal Messiah, really him? They were in transition. So a lot of people are in transition. Who is Jesus? What did he do? What does it mean to have faith? Do I believe I'm saved by faith alone? Do I believe I've got, do, do I think I've got to do all these works to get saved? And, or do I believe it's just, it's just the empty hands of faith? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. But see, to, to be someone who, who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit means this. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to convict of sin, to exalt the name of Jesus, and to open the Word of God to our understanding. So he, he convicts, he exalts, and he opens. 
So if I blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it means that I continuously harden my heart to the reality of who Jesus is, and I die in that state. Until you die, there's always hope that you will not blaspheme the Holy Spirit in the last minutes. But, 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 but to blaspheme the Holy Spirit means that you say, I, I don't believe, I don't believe, I believe Jesus was a liar, I believe he was deceived, I believe his disciples were deceived, I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And if you die in that state of mind, you go to eternal judgment. I think that's what the passage means. So, so I look at this and I say, if I'm going to, if I'm going to avoid the hypocrisy of of the Pharisees. I must run to the embrace of Abba Father and reverence him. I must acknowledge the Son and, and verbally and in the way I live, and I must welcome the Holy Spirit. Welcome Holy Spirit. Take the Word of God and expose and teach and elevate and sh- push me forward. Now let me make a few comments. Uh, I'm glad to be alive in the year 2017. Uh, I believe that the Lord is sovereign king, and he watches over his people, and all things work together for the good of those who love him. I believe that. I also believe this is a difficult time to stand for your faith in the marketplace. I admire you. I see those of you who are doing it, and I just, you're my heroes. I, I read a book recently. It's a good book. It's entitled Grit by a woman named Angela Duckworth. I didn't get the feel that she was writing from a Christian perspective, but she said a lot of good stuff. One thing she says, she says, says, you know, grit is just, people just persevere. She quotes Teddy Roosevelt and Winston Churchill, some of my favorite guys, and she says, you know, you you, you just persevere. You just go forward. You just do the right thing. And she says, there's a Japanese saying, fall eight or seven, rise eight. So you you fall down, but you get up. So that's grit. You just go for it. You just do the right thing. So when I think about how do we go forward, I go, well, we run to the Abba Father's embrace, we acknowledge the Son, and we welcome the Holy Spirit. I've got a passion that, the, that we will, in the coming generations, will think Christianly, that we will develop Christian minds, that we'll look at our culture and we'll look at entertainment through the grid of the Bible. With people of the book. That's why our purpose statement is this. As a church, equipping people to pursue Christ passionately so they can impact the culture. So you're equipped, we're passionate, we impact. That's what I want to do. And um, th- there's a book that's been released by a guy named Rob Dreer. He's a good writer. Um, it's called The Benedict Option. In fact, there's a real movement in the Christian faith today. This is the uh, book review section of the Wall Street Journal from a few weeks ago. It's called The Benedict. It says The Benedict Option. And uh, it talks about different communities around our country that now are intentionally banding together for the purpose of thinking Christianly and developing the Christian mind and raising their children in the way of Christ. And talked about a community in the far reaches of a state called Oklahoma. And they were, uh, the nearest town is one hour away. And they're together and they're raising their children. And they still have Netflix and they do have a computer, but they're not, they haven't gone totally Amish on us, but it's, it's just about going away. Of course, the Benedictine order in the uh, early church, they prayed at specific stated times, six to seven times a day. 
So just, just developing that. Now, my problem with that is I, I don't think it's biblical. It's, it's the age-old question of how, do we, how are we in the world but not of the world? Jesus said, go ye therefore and, and, and disciple the nations. So I, I think we've got to be in the world, but we, we should be so equipped that we pursue and we impact the culture. So but anyway, this back book by Rob Dreer, he, he said that today's church, this is his assessment, uh, in America, the evangelical church is lethargic and accustomed to social privilege, and they are now immune to the intellectual resources that Christianity possesses to resist cultural decadence. Think about it. He says, we're not thinking well. He says, we have a hollowed out religion that will not last. And this is what he says in the book. The idea is that serious Christian conservatives could no longer live business as usual in this country called America. That we have to develop creative communal solutions to help us hold on to our faith and our values and a world that's growing ever more hostile towards them. We, we would have to choose to make a decisive leap into a truly a countercultural way of living Christianity, or we would doom our children and our children's children to assimilation by this culture. He says, you know, if we don't think creatively and make consistent choices and think biblically, we're going to condemn our children and our children's children to being, to being assimilated by our culture. I love our children's ministries and our youth ministries and our college ministry. I, lo I love PCA, our school. So, so with that as a, a backdrop, uh, I'm going to suggest something that's going to make us look like salmon. Unless you're from North Carolina, where I was raised up, it's salmon. The elder's not silent in Yadkin County, North Carolina. I grew up eating salmon patties. So anyway, I have to work this to the old salmon. It's salmon. Now, salmon goes against the flow. So in a day and age when, when we need to develop a Christian mind more than ever before, I believe, a lot of churches are just punting on adult education. They're, they're just not doing it. They're, they're saying, come to worship, go home. And, and what the staff and that's it, what the staff and the elders are saying to you is, make Sunday really the Lord's day. Uh, less than a third of our people in worship go to adult Bible study. So here's my plea to you. A specific, measurable goal. Go to Bible study, go to worship, or go to worship and go to Bible study. And, and as you're in Bible study, the purpose of Bible study on Sunday morning is to study the Bible. It's not primarily fellowship. It's primarily to study and to think Christianly. You dialogue, you think, you reason, you talk out loud, and, and you bring issues and your heart to the Scripture, and you say, Holy Spirit, change me. Now, I'm not going to take names or anything, but, but what I'm saying is I want you to consider doing this. You're here on Sunday morning. What are you going to do? Go to Waffle House? You know? You're here. Just come. And listen, let me just say this, parents. I just, I'm just going to go all out here. If you have a middle school or a senior higher, they should be in worship and Bible study. I know a lot of parents, it seems that they take their kids to Bible study, they come to worship. They should be in worship with you, seeing you worship, 
hearing the word of God from the lips of a marvelous expositor who happens to be here once every year if we can bring somebody in. But, but, but just, just hearing scripture taught. So I'm saying Bible study and worship, worship Bible study, and an option would be to teach our children. We have 400, 360 to 400 kids, grades five and below on this campus on Sunday. That's a lot of kids. It requires 150 adult workers a minimum. So God bless you for doing that. God bless you for building the next generation. But I just want you to think about that. We've got to build communities where we think intentionally. So that's, that's my plea. And uh, I need you guys in my life. I need to think Christianly, think biblically. I need to bring everything under the magnifying glass of the Bible. I really do. And I'm going to tell you this one story, and I'm the hero of the story, kind of, sort of, maybe I'm not, but I'm not going to tell you a story. So years ago, years ago, years ago, Sarah and I were invited to a gathering of about 10 pastors in South Georgia at a place called The Cloister. We got a cut rate deal to go there, and it was during the week. And there was a guy that hosted the conference with 10 pastors. I was the low man on the totem pole. I mean, I, I shouldn't have been invited. I think I got invited because I knew one of the guys that was going, and they needed to fill a seat, so they invited me. And, but I went. And these were some well known guys. You'd know their names if I call us out some of their names. But there's one guy there. You know, sometimes you're in a group of 10, and there's one guy you just kind of boom connect with. He loved sports, he loved this. And we just, we just started having meals together, hanging out. And I really liked the guy. But this guy was kind of a forerunner at that time in a movement where he, he didn't really use the Bible. He would quote a verse and just talk out loud. And, and he would bring in things on the set, like a tank. We talked about spiritual warfare and preach from the top of a tank. I mean, he was so creative. He had more creativity there than I would in 15 lifetimes. And I really enjoyed him. And, and he, huge church, and the Lord used him. And so, but they, they'd done away with adult education and just come to this amorphous worship where a lot of times the name of Jesus wouldn't be mentioned because they're trying to appeal to the community, so forth and so on. And I, I'm not there, by the way. So the last session, the guy that's leading it said, do you have anything you want to share with anything, anybody in this group? And I said, oh, yeah, I do. I have nothing to lose. I'm the low. I shouldn't even be here, so I'll go and say something. I said, uh, I really enjoy getting to know this guy. Man, what a wonderful guy. I said, but I do have one thing to say to you in front of these brothers. I said, my concern is I think I could go to your church for 10 or 15 years and never hear or understand why the Reformation was important. Never hear the solos of the Reformation. Never hear why Christ alone. Never, never hear why we don't worship the vicar of Christ called the Pope. At that time, we had a really cool Pope, John Paul II. Why we say faith alone through grace alone. I mean, I think they'll hear, but, but you don't. I said, I think people need to understand historical background, why we do that and why we do what we do. You know, and, and I said, that's just it. I said, I love you. But he said, you know, you're right. That's all he said. You're right. We need to think Christianly. We live in a post-Christian world. We do. That's where God's planted us, 2017. That's our zip code, our birth, our chronological place. I want us to think well. So I was going to a new facility, new times, new energy, new focus. I want that to be part of who we are. I need you guys. I, I, need, I need the fellowship of the brethren in my life. I need teaching in my life as I get ready to go to heaven.
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, thank you for the scripture. Uh, thank you that it's incredible. We can pick up this document and by the grace of the Spirit, read what you said, Jesus, and grapple with it and seek to understand it by the power of the Spirit. Thank you that you're the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you that if we're your disciples, we will abide in your word, and we shall know the truth, and the truth will make us free. Thank you for those things. And um, just rejoice in your goodness. Lord, position our hearts to, to really be used of you as we go into a, a new phase of the life of our church. To the glory of your name, keep us strong and, and valiant. In Jesus' name, amen.